going on today for the heart and soul of America, and the right side must win. It's time for America Can We Talk with Debbie George Addis. On America Can We Talk, we talk truth about America and why it matters to you. America Can We Talk starts now. Good evening and welcome. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Thanks so very much for tuning in to America Can We Talk. I know there's some silly football game on tonight, but this show is far more important. And besides, periodically I'll tell you who's winning, and I'm rooting for the Eagles. That's right. Okay, so the reason I'm, first of all, very grateful that you tuned in tonight. And we have a guest in studio who will come on the next segment, John Guandolo. But the first thing I want to do in tonight's first five is to try to put a little bit of context into the whole story about the release of the memo that came out uh, on Friday. And so I want to start with a very short clip from a speech that President Trump gave in Florida in October of 2016. So this is less than a month before he was elected president of the United States. October 2016, here's Donald Trump. This is not simply another four-year election. This is a crossroads in the history of our civilization that will determine whether or not we, the people, reclaim control over our government. The political establishment that is trying to stop us is the same group responsible for our disastrous trade deals, massive illegal immigration, and economic and foreign policies that have bled our country dry. Okay, folks, that was Donald Trump in October 2016, and I'm just realizing if you're listening on Facebook Live that we didn't have the sound cord plugged in. You might not have picked it up, but I will tell you what he was saying. The broader point of what he was saying I want to share with you, uh, and really it's kind of the context for our whole discussion tonight, and that is this. What Donald Trump did in getting elected in 2016 was not just become the first complete outsider, non-political, non-military, non-foreign service president. He got elected at a time when many Americans discerned and knew that there was something way off track about Washington, not just out-of-control spending, not just an insecure border, not just a government that didn't listen to the people. There was a broader sense of dis-ease or unease among the American people about the idea of or the feeling that the government doesn't listen to us. The government is made up of too many people. They are elitist. They are encrusted and entrenched in their power. They live their lives. They do their their um, work in Washington They say to us they care about us, but the truth is there's an entrenched elite ruling class in Washington that does not listen to us. That speech, my husband and I happened to have dinner out on Friday night with some good friends, and my husband was saying to them, he happened to go back and read that speech, say, wow, President Trump was kind of prescient. He was actually, and you know, he's not a 
politically, you know, he wasn't a politically active guy exactly, but he discerned what a lot of Americans did discern. And what we're going to talk about tonight in great detail is about this memo that was released by the House Intelligence Committee on Friday, a little four-page summary of their ongoing year-long investigation, what they have uncovered relating relating to the entire functioning in the, inside the FBI and the Department of Justice, relating to what was happening in that in those departments and how they they deviated from following law because they became so determined to get this president, so determined that there was somehow a righteous superiority in getting rid of a guy who never should have been elected to start with, a sense of superiority about who we are in Washington. You, Donald Trump, you're not going to drain the swamp. We're going to drain you. There was a, a sense of just, not just that they had the right to remove this guy, but these people, some of them in, in the FBI, Department of Justice, a sense that they were actually standing up for the American people, or at least for what they think America should be. And so what was uncovered and revealed in that memo was the many ways in which, and this is just in my view, and we'll ask John Guandolo, former FBI agent who comes on with us next, if this is an exaggeration, but my sense, this is probably the tip of the iceberg, because what was uncovered was a failure to follow normal procedures to get a FISA warrant, but the deeper point was it was used Using research, opposition research, paid for by Hillary Clinton and her team, using that as a basis to unleash the power of the federal government against Donald Trump and his entire campaign during the campaign period and afterwards during his presidency. It was a notion that we're going to use the power we have. And so they got a FISA court warrant, a court um, warrant issued to permit surveillance Based on a fairy tale that Hillary Clinton paid for, the famous Russian dossier or Christopher St- or Steele dossier. So we're going to talk about that tonight. I want to read you one last quote that was uh, by Jim Jordan, and he is, of course, the um, very, very outspoken on this entire concern about the uh, Russian dossier. And he basically said, he argued in a conference call on Friday that members of the Department of Justice and the FBI dressed up opposition research and opposition research document to spy on an American citizen during a presidential campaign. He went on to say that this is this destroys trust in the American people in their government. What destroys trust is when you take that kind of document and dress it up and make it appear like it's legitimate intelligence. So we come back from the break. We're going to talk with former FBI agent and good friend John Guandolo, who actually in his time with the FBI wrote legitimate applications for FISA court warrants. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. This is America Can We Talk. Come right back. Attention Ronald Reagan fans. What is the one item most sought after by Americans who love the Gipper? It's Young America's Foundation's Reagan Ranch Calendar. Young America's Foundation is the leading youth outreach organization dedicated to ensuring that increasing numbers of young Americans understand and are inspired by the ideas of individual freedom, a strong national defense, free enterprise, and traditional values. New audiences of young people across the country are introduced to conservative ideas through Young America's Foundation's programs, including the Reagan Ranch Program. 
program. The Reagan Ranch calendar contains spectacular images of the Gipper enjoying his beautiful 688-acre ranch, the Western White House. For a limited time, the calendar is free. Even shipping is free. To receive your beautiful Reagan Ranch calendar from Young America's Foundation, call 800-USA-1776 and mention the phrase Reagan Gift. Again, the number is 1-800-USA-1776 and Reagan Gift is the code. Learn more about Young America's Foundation at www.yaf.org. That's yaf.org. America guarantees each eligible adult citizen the right to vote. The Public Interest Legal Foundation, a 501c3 public interest law firm, is dedicated entirely to election integrity, to assuring that voter rolls include names of only citizens eligible to vote, and that protections are in place to prevent voter fraud of all kinds. The Public Interest Legal Foundation discovered that more than 1,000 non-citizens enrolled to vote in Virginia in just eight counties, and in Philadelphia, felons as well as non-citizens are on the voter rolls. Non-citizens have been registering to vote and voting. The Public Interest Legal Foundation is fighting nationwide and in Texas to ensure that only Americans pick American leaders. We are actively litigating high-impact cases to clean up voter rolls and protect the ballot box. If you do not want your vote canceled out, visit publicinterestlegal.org to join us in the fight to restore integrity to American elections. Protect your vote. Visit publicinterestlegal.org today. Do you know that one in nearly five United States residents lives in an immigrant household? That we take in more than one million new legal immigrants every year? Studying the impact of federal immigration program is the mission of the Center for Immigration Studies, the nation's only think tank looking at the broad national effect of immigration policy. Whether it's on crime, welfare, national security, or the job market, CIS digs out information about immigration from government sources, translates it into English, and makes it available to the public, the news media, and policymakers in Washington. Check out its work at CIS.org. CIS makes the case for better enforcement against illegal immigration and lower levels of legal immigration in the future. Most other special interest groups pursue the opposite. The only thing standing between them and open borders is an informed public. Get informed and stay informed by visiting CIS.org. That's CIS.org. Let me tell you about the group Vice President Mike Pence called the most effective grassroots pro-life organization in America. It's the Susan B. Anthony List, and they're the ones who are on Capitol Hill right now, day in, day out, to fight back against Planned Parenthood and the abortion industry. Every day in our nation, abortion takes more than 2,000 innocent lives, almost two every single minute of every single day. And Planned Parenthood is the largest abortion business in the country, committing one-third of all abortions. It's an unspeakable tragedy and a stain upon our nation and our humanity. And it's up to us to do something about it. This is your opportunity to join the team that's leading the charge to end abortion. Go to sba-list.org or Google Susan B. Anthony List now to learn more and start saving lives today. Can you hear us now? Can you hear us now? The soul of freedom is crying out. Can you hear us now? 
And welcome back to America Can We Talk. As I mentioned before the break, we have a great guest in our studio, John Guandolo. He happens to be a family friend. He lives here in Dallas. But he's also a very accomplished former member of the FBI, former agent in Washington. And the reason I wanted to have him come in tonight, I actually happened to have him on a a different show that I um, did last week. uh, And we talked a little bit about this FISA warrant process. And at that point, the memo had not been released but here he is tonight. I want to have him start. First of all, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I would love to have you tell our listeners what, because in your time at the FBI, you actually filled out FISA warrant applications for uh, in order to seek to have the FISA court issue a warrant. What's involved in the process when you do it the right way? Well, I think um, to, to start, I'd, I'd like to just kind of lay it out for your uh, for your listeners and your viewers. Um so FISA, uh, F-I-S-A, is Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act. So it's an act of Congress. It's lawful. Um, the FISA judges are real judges. There's not a fit. When we talk about the FISA court, we're talking about the collection of the judges because there's not a building they all go to. These are federal judges that come from the federal bench, including the appellate bench, chosen by the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, uh, the Supreme Court oversees it. So it's lawful and it's constitutional. And that's the first thing. Uh, And I bring that up because there are some who consider themselves patriots and conservatives in the United States who think we should do away with the FISA court. And that would be devastating. And, And I'd like to explain why first. So the FISA court was established uh, specifically to keep uh, from the from the the government from actually doing unlawful surveillance on citizens. So the whole reason it was created was for the exact opposite reason that people are thinking it needs to be done away with. It is constitutional, and what it allows federal agents to do is simply do the same thing we do on a Title 18 warrant, but do it lawfully in a classified setting under Title 50. Um, so here's how the process works. I was a supervisor at FBI headquarters. Um, and during that temporary duty as a, as a headquarters supervisor, I was the affiant or the individual that swears out uh, the affidavit for a warrant. In these, this case, many FISA warrants. Um, it was actually a joke after my time was up. I got a certificate that said, FISA man, because I had done, I had done so many. So you're really an expert. Yes. I, uh, I certainly had my, my share, but here's the process. And this is, I think really important for Americans to know that agent in the field would contact his or her supervisor at headquarters. And in this case, I'm obviously using me as the example. So the region that I covered as a supervisor, those agents that wanted to get a FISA would contact me and say, here's the case summary Here's the affidavit. And then what I would do is work with that agent literally line by line because I have to swear that what's in this affidavit is true. And my professional career, everything's on the, on the line. And so we would literally, uh, both over classified email and phone calls, would make sure that I'm satisfied that every single thing. And you need to understand, some of these FISA warrants are over 100 pages the affidavits. This is no small uh, task for an agent in the field or anybody involved. Then once I'm um, 
I've once we've got that agreed to, then I work with a Department of Justice attorney and with Department of Justice officials. There is a cover sheet on the affidavit that has to be signed off by DOJ. Um, and in addition to that, the FBI director himself or the deputy director, and in certain cases, his appointed uh, an appointed person, but normally it's the director, um, has to read it and sign off on it himself. Let me ask you something. Does the director ever say to you, hey, John, you're the one that reviewed this. Why do you believe, how, what's the evidence on this? Why do you believe this is true? All the time. There were several cases um, because sometimes because of the nature of the FISA warrant, there were times when we had to literally work continuously to get one approved because of some uh, important event or threat or something like that. And so it's not wasn't unusual to be at the FBI director's home on like a weekend. And yes, he'd read through it and he'd say, give me more information on this, this fact or give me more information about this source. Uh, how long has this source been working with us? What do you know? Now, these are questions I had already gone through with a case agent. So I, I knew the answers. But I mean, this is it is incredibly intricate and uh, very detailed. Now, once the FBI director has signed off on it, the Department of Justice has signed off on it. Now I go with the DOJ attorney into the judge's chambers. And now the judge goes through it and will ask questions and may send us back to get answers. And then eventually the judge signs it. And so here's here's a couple things. One of the questions I get a lot is, why is the, how come for all the applications for FISA warrants, almost all of them get approved and people have mit, uh, said it's just a rubber stamp? Well, if anybody heard what I just said in the last five minutes, it's not a rubber stamp. By the time that affidavit gets to the judge, it has been through such a screening process between the agent himself in the field or herself, the supervisor at FBI headquarters, DOJ, the FBI director, and then the judge. So, of course, most of them that get to the judge are going to be approved, the vast majority, because of the process. The, so that's, those are the first two things I wanted to get out. The process is lawful and constitutional. It is a rigorous process that is needed. Uh, for our national security, and it's important. But then the third thing with relative to the current events, and I'll let you ask the questions, it it helps people, I think, without me even answering further questions, understand why in the case of the memo involving Christopher Steele's dossier on Mr. Trump, why that was so wrong based on what I just shared. I do want to get to that. I, I love and thank you so much for that detailed explanation. I think it does clear up a lot of rumors that fly that flew around about oh they were just slapdash issuing warrants. They're, so somebody or somebody's inside the FBI and above them in FBI and Department of Justice had to have followed this process you described or or corrupted the process. But either way, the FISA was supposed to have been followed. Correct. Okay, so on the um, on the particular thing we're talking about here the other kind of preliminary point i wanted to make my little lawyer head is going to this but you know when you if you have a system like this and the foreign intelligence surveillance act is about either you think a citizen is a spy and so you're spying on the citizen that's that section one or article whatever it is article one kind of kind of spying or there's the other kind where 
you're saying it's a foreign agent who lives here, but that person, foreign agent, is interacting with Americans. So you're really surveilling this foreign agent, but you just happen to pick up some communications with regular Americans. And the only reason it's relevant is they claim Carter Page, the one that, for whom they, against whom they got this warrant, uh, he was, it was an Article 1. He was alleged to be a spy, which, which is rather astonishing, at least by the, in the memo it says that. The other thing that was really interesting in the memo was, it was making the point, you know, how you come in America to trust the justice system is because there are two sides presented. Every time you go to the judge, the plaintiff has a lawyer, the defense has a lawyer. They go back and forth and back and forth. This is no back and forth. This is one party, the FBI, going to the FISA court to get this warrant, which means the FISA judge has an, has an especially important obligation recognizing there's no one there representing the one they're trying to get to. So he's got to be sure, double sure that this the law is being followed, there's a fairness, there's an accuracy here, because there's no one else weighing in on that at the time of the issuance of the warrant. That's right. So two things. That's a, that's a beautiful point to make. Two things. Number one, the legal standard is probable cause. It's not a shadow beyond a shadow of doubt. Or it's probable cause. And that's a relatively simple um, legal standard to meet on these kinds of cases uh, when we're talking about FISA, uh, when we're talking about American citizens or foreign agents. Um, we're talking about counterintelligence and counterterrorism investigations primarily. They don't have to be. But even the, the financial uh, and economic and intellectual property cases we're talking about, those are generally counterintelligence cases or can be. Um, so that's the first thing is the, the bar is probable cause, regardless of whether there's uh, a, an attorney for the uh, subject of the investigation, which there never is. It's the same thing when we get a warrant, a search warrant or an arrest warrant. The legal standard is probable cause. Uh, the, the other thing I, I would just like to say is nowhere in this case with Mr. Trump, with the dossier written by Christopher Steele and paid for by the DNC and Mrs. Clinton, has anyone alleged that there was any impropriety by the FISA judge? That's- okay. And at that point, I'm going to jump in, Ty. we got to go to a break, but I'm, I hope you're loving this as much as I am. Debbie George Ass, America Can We Talk, John Guandolo in studio. Come right back after our break. Our nation faces a choice, the path of big government based out of Washington or the unique brand of liberty and prosperity enjoyed here in Texas. For 27 years, the Texas Public Policy Foundation has helped leaders in the Lone Star State prove that fiscal restraint and small government can deliver opportunity and prosperity for all. The Texas Public Policy Foundation promotes and defends solutions here and around the country based on liberty, free enterprise, and personal responsibility, whether informed the national debate on property rights, energy, taxes, education, or criminal justice, the foundation works to translate ideas into real change. The Texas Public Policy Foundation does not accept government funds or contributions to influence the outcome of its research. It is supported by thousands of people like you who are concerned about the future of our country. You can help Texas remain strong as the beacon of liberty in America. Visit TexasPolicy.com to learn more. If you want to get at the issues that really matter for women and men, go to IWF.org. That's the Independent Women's Forum. 
IWF is all about increasing the number of American women who value free markets and personal liberty. IWF's motto is all issues are women's issues. They bring a fact-based approach to politics, policy, and culture. When the left tried to peddle a phony war on women, IWF shot back with facts and figures. American women aren't victims in need of ever-increasing government protection. And IWF doesn't think things are perfect, but they believe that individual liberty is the key to prosperity and fulfillment. Along with their sister organization, Independent Women's Voice, IWVoice.org, which is a leader in the fight against Obamacare, they offer policy papers, op-eds, and a popular blog on issues of the day. So visit IWF at IWF.org. That's IWF.org. If there's one thing the conservative movement needs, it's a leader. And we have one, the Heritage Foundation. Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Heritage gets in the trenches on Capitol Hill. They promote principled solutions directly to lawmakers in Washington. And unlike politicians, they don't waver or compromise. But they're not a Washington institution. There are nearly a half million Heritage members and supporters in America. And they're on a mission to grow that number and build the conservative base. You can become a Heritage member by going to joinheritage.org today. I've been a member of Heritage myself for years. I have Heritage experts on my show, and I rely on their analysis to get the facts out. As a member, you'll get updates from Heritage Foundation on the fight for conservative solutions to America's challenges. Plus, you'll receive exclusive invitations to conservative events where you live. So join the growing movement. Find out more at joinheritage.org. That's joinheritage.org. There's a lot of talk today among media, in academia, in our culture, about everything that is supposedly wrong with America. Political correctness tries to dictate that we must stop thinking that America is exceptional. America's bravest have our back in the air, at sea, and on land. But who has America's back in the culture? In schools, on cable television, in newspapers, it's time to end the greatest prejudice on earth, anti-Americanism. And who makes the case for America? Flag does. Flag is the foundation for liberty and American greatness. Flag has America's back on the cultural battlefield. Flag is a nonprofit battle tank working to change the cultural and media narrative about America. If you think it's time to stand up for America, join the Foundation for Liberty and American Greatness. Your support of Flag is an investment in the America your children will inherit. Visit their website at flagusa.org and consider donating. All donations are 100% tax deductible. That's flagusa.org. Welcome back to America Can We Talk. Okay, I have in studio, I hope you've been listening tonight, I have in studio John Guandolo. He is a former FBI agent and a supervising agent in Washington. And the first thing I wanted to go through, because I think this this issue, it is so much bigger than whether or not some people in the FBI had a slightly faulty application for a FISA warrant, even whether they use a political thing for it. It just really, it, it gets to the core idea of whether we have a rule of law in Washington and that everyone's subject to the same set of laws um, and that we have the courage and backbone to investigate when it appears that things were done that were improper. And that's what I want to turn to next. So first of all, I'm just curious, John, what, so this past Friday, Devin Nunes, the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, 
decided uh, over the protests of the Democrats in Washington to release this memo, this four-page memo that laid out what he felt were to be there were improprieties um, in after years or a year or more of investigation and calling witnesses before his committee improprieties in the way the um, FBI went about applying for the FISA warrant. So did you have, overall, was it a bad decision to release the memo, good decision? What was your sense of it? Uh, I think it was a good decision for two big reasons. Number one, um, for those who argued it could damage America's national security, I don't know how our national security could be damaged any worse with the level of corruption, uh, sedition, and treason going on at the levels of our government. So uh, that's the first part. The second part is as important, that the American people need to know the truth. Uh, The American people are smart enough and savvy enough uh, to understand. And it's what separates our system from all others is that the openness in our system, it doesn't mean we're foolish with sensitive material and sensitive information. This is something, and the other thing is I think this is the tip of the iceberg, but this demonstrates that there was willful perjury on the part of DOJ and FBI officials. There was sedition, in my opinion, by these officials, which means that's likely there's also treason. And that goes for a director, Comey, who perjured himself, committed crimes, and people need to go to jail and be punished for this. Okay, let's. Uh, I I'd love to get back to those conclusions, I, I, and I I mean those those thoughts because I I may not be with you on treason. I can go with sedition, but anyway, let's get back to what was so wrong with what the FBI did in this case. And remind our listeners very quickly: Hillary Clinton, during the course of her political campaign, hired Fusion GPS, a smear campaign research company. They hired Christopher Steele. Christopher Steele composed seemingly out of thin air, perhaps he did some research, but composed a dossier which was full of allegations uh, about uh, President Trump, now President Trump, claiming essentially that he was subject to, uh, he committed wrongdoing in Russia and subject to blackmail. So that dossier, written by a British spy, became the basis, what what was the big issue released in the memo was, that became the basis for the FBI's application for a FISA warrant in this case. So what's wrong with that? Uh, more things than we have time to discuss, but let me hit the highlights. Number one, the FBI and DOJ, according to the memo and according to other information, presented that knowing that the information was not only false in and of itself, but knowing that they were intentionally withholding information from the FISA judge that would have discredited the information that was already in that they knew was false. That That's a crime. You're, per, you're perjuring yourself when you swear that what's in here is true when you know it's not. The information that was omitted that the uh, investigation has demonstrated, the DOJ and FBI knew to be true, and they omitted it because they knew by omitting it, it will give the FISA warrant the best chance of getting signed by the judge. This is incredible. This is incredible. I mean, what a deviation from the process you were describing in the last segment. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, the other thing is I, there's a there's a bit of a battle going on about, you know, the memo is claiming the Republicans are saying that the FISA court uh, never was told, for example, that this was uh, paid for by Hillary Clinton research, that it came from a, um, a, a British spy, that they hadn't been able to verify virtually any of it. They have it was unverified by them. All of those, is that the kind of thing you're talking about when you say that there were omissions in what they filed? That's right. I mean, the first thing is they didn't admit that Christopher Steele himself 
was de- was demonstrated because of what they knew even before this of providing false information. So he was not a credible source for this kind of a, a thing. That right there is a huge deal. You would never put a statement of facts or a fact from a source uh, into a FISA warrant if the source has, had been discredited or demonstrated that they didn't have credibility. I'm telling you, one thing that came out, and I don't, I can't remember, I mean, there are a lot of sources, and i tell you, folks, if you're listening, you go to americacanbetalk.org, many of the links, were ta- the stories we're talking about, I have links up there, but specifically with respect to that issue you were just mentioning, uh, Christopher Steele had mentioned to, and I don't know which person it was involved with the FBI, but had mentioned to them that he really, really, really did not want to see Donald Trump president. He would do anything to have Trump not be president. I mean, president. Doesn't that by itself just signify almost overwhelming, uh, non-credible bias? It, it does. But the other thing I would say is that, uh, um, what we see from people in the FBI and DOJ involved in this, they also had that bias. Uh, okay. Well, and speaking of bias in the FBI, I do because I'm, I'm glad you're here to counter what um, we're going to play next. But there was a, a clip that was – now, naturally, CNN goes to find the one FBI agent who, you know, hates President Trump and loves <laughs> – <laughs> loves Comey and all that. But there was a clip from this FBI guy named Phil Mudd played on CNN, and I believe we have it ready to play. So the FBI people, I'm going to tell you, are ticked. And they're going to be saying, I guarantee it, you think you can push us off this because you can try to intimidate the director? You better think again, Mr. President. You've been around for 13 months. We've been around since 1908. I know how this game is going to be played. We're going to win. Okay, that is... If you didn't realize what I said before we played the clip, that's a former, a retired FBI agent, Phil Mudd, well-named Mudd, name, as in name is, and he uh, is on CNN essentially threatening President Trump that you want to pick a fight with the FBI, you're going to lose. What's your reaction? How, how much foul language can I use on this? None. <laughs> let me tell you, Phil Mudd is a turd. That's what he is. And let me, let me explain this to you. Um, when I... Put together, first of all, when he was, he was the executive assistant director of the FBI. Okay. So he's not just some guy. And before that, he was an assistant director in the FBI. When I put together my first training program in 2006 on the Muslim Brotherhood, Islamic threat, and all of that, we intentionally brought Phil Mudd in on the second Monday after the entire audience of FBI, CIA, DHS, police, local police, state police had gotten five days of what this threat's all about and then brought him in because I wanted to I wanted to show a contrast of FBI leadership versus the facts of the real threat on the ground and he got peppered with questions about why isn't the FBI designating the Muslim Brotherhood in or pushing to do so in 2006 what ends up happening is he's sitting there with his cup of coffee and he's like okay goodbye and he walked out and he got followed to his car, to their credit, by both uh, federal, like Capitol Police, uh, another federal police, and local police, peppered him with questions like, sir, these are real threats. What are you doing? And when he drove away and everyone came back in the room and settled down, I just I looked at the class and I said, that is what we're dealing with right there. Okay. That story really buttresses or ties into what we're, we're 
saying about him right now. He doesn't want, it's like fingers in the ears, la, 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 la. I don't want to face reality. I don't want to face a threat in the Muslim Brotherhood. I don't want you guys telling me something I don't want to deal with. In this case, he doesn't want to deal with the facts in front of him on the memo and all the evidence because it makes the FBI look bad. And he just rather say, la, 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 I don't want to hear it. Well, and but you've got him literally, as you said, he just threatened the president of the United States. I mean, I'd love to see the Secret Service put handcuffs on him. Anyway, I mean, this is just, it's such arrogance. And what he's not saying is the director of the FBI, both Comey and Mueller, but let's stick to Mr. Comey, perjured himself. This, uh, at a minimum, what happened here with the dossier was perjury by an FBI supervisor at headquarters and a DOJ official. You've got tampering with a federal election. And when I said treason earlier, this is sedition because these actions are done as a part of a larger movement to overthrow the United States government. The duly elected president. Absolutely. That's treason if you hold office or you, you've sworn an oath to the Constitution. Okay. And on that note, I will tell you something else because we have just a few seconds left in this segment. I did look up this Phil Mudd. I couldn't believe the things he said, that this threat to the president that we just heard played. He also, in the he's obviously a big anti-Trump guy. He was out previously with a statement relating to the travel ban, which he didn't like. He called it, I'll say it nicely, bass backwards. Um, he called the Trump transition a clown show. And he said, labeling the Boston attacks uh, as intelligence failure is absurd. This is Debbie Georgias and John Guandolo, America Can We Talk, right back. America faces unprecedented threats to our national security. The Center for Security Policy, based in Washington, D.C., is a national leader focused on the organization, management, and direction of public policy coalitions to promote U.S. national security. The Center is a special forces in the war of ideas dedicated to identifying opportunities and challenges likely to affect American security and acting promptly to ensure that they are the subject of focused national examination and effective action. The Center enlists support from executive branch officials, key legislators, and other public policy organizations and brings these teams together to develop and shape policies that will keep America safe. Check out centerforsecuritypolicy.org for the latest news and developments brought to you by America's leading security experts. Becoming and remaining informed is one of the best ways every citizen can be a part of the mission to keep America safe. That's centerforsecuritypolicy.org. Texans have a long tradition of independence, and we don't like being told what to do, especially by liberal bureaucrats 1,000 miles away. That's why for 30 years, the Dallas-based Institute for Policy Innovation has fought Washington's efforts to take more of your money and freedom. IPI works every day to keep taxes low and freedom high, to promote free market health care, expand energy security, protect intellectual property, and combat onerous regulations that destroy American jobs. Politicians often talk smaller government, but then vote for more of it. By contrast, IPI has never veered from its mission to defend the Constitution and fight for freedom. If you want to be informed about free market policies and solutions, go to IPI's website and sign up. All of their information is free for sharing. Help IPI restore liberty and economic growth. Go to IPI.org today. That's IPI.org. One more time, go to IPI.org today. 
Could you lose your career because of your faith? Could your pastor be sued because of his sermons? Can students and teachers be punished because of what they believe about God? Can the government or even your employer force you to violate your beliefs? Get the answers and, if necessary, legal protection from First Liberty Institute. First Liberty is the nation's largest legal organization dedicated exclusively to restoring religious freedom in America. In fact, First Liberty's nationwide network of top attorneys win over 90% of their cases. They've won at the Supreme Court all the way down to local schools. Visit FirstLiberty.org to learn more about how First Liberty is protecting religious freedom for all Americans in the workplace, public schools, your church, the military, and more. That's FirstLiberty.org. If you want hope for religious freedom and a free listing of your rights, go to FirstLiberty.org now. Attention Ronald Reagan fans. What is the one item most sought after by Americans who love the Gipper? It's Young America's Foundation's Reagan Ranch Calendar. Young America's Foundation is the leading youth outreach organization dedicated to ensuring that increasing numbers of young Americans understand and are inspired by the ideas of individual freedom, a strong national defense, free enterprise, and traditional values. New audiences of young people across the country are introduced to conservative ideas through Young America's Foundation's programs, including the Reagan Ranch Program. The Reagan Ranch calendar contains spectacular images of the Gipper enjoying his beautiful 688-acre ranch, the Western White House. For a limited time, the calendar is free. Even shipping is free. To receive your beautiful Reagan Ranch calendar from Young America's Foundation, call 800-USA-1776 and mention the phrase Reagan Gift. Again, the number is 1-800-USA-1776 and Reagan Gift is the code. Learn more about Young America's Foundation at www.yaf.org. That's yaf.org. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. I'm in the studio and uh, live, even though there's some silly football game going on, which I won Dolo. No, actually, sadly, we used to love football. I'm, I, I, feel, I really feel sad for America. So many people thought, dang, that used to be our Sunday afternoon thing. And, you know, and anyway, uh, have a hard time supporting it right now. But there's Super Bowls on, and uh, so are we. So John Guandolo is here, and we were talking again. The FISA, uh, the memo came out last week from Representative Nunes in the House Intelligence Committee, and they laid out what they felt were the um, at least a, a surface four-page summary of the problems they saw, the serious legal, really right. constitutional problems. So some of the gripes about it, John, I'm just going to ask you to react to them. These were gripes that came from, well, besides Nancy Pelosi, who— had a meltdown many times and just talked about national security secrets and danger. I mean, first of all, you've read the FISA memo that came out from the uh, Nunes committee. Is there yes. any uh, national security problem here? No. <laughs> I mean, it was so absurd. And that's the thing is, I kept thinking, even when they were saying that, this is not about location of the uh, nuclear codes, uh, hidden assets no. in our... It's about the corruption that people like Nancy Pelosi have enjoyed. participated in for years. Yes. Yep. Okay. So, but here was one. Uh, they had, the memo is intended to undermine, this is a complaint about the memo being released. Right. The memo is intended to undermine the special counsel's ongoing Russia investigation. What do you say to that? Well, I would hope uh, <laughs> it, it does. Now, that's not the intent, though, of releasing the memo. Uh but, of course, it undermines Mr. Mueller's investigation, number one. To get a special counsel, there actually has to be um, a listing of what the crime is, is that he's supposed to be investigating. 
So far, that's not been done to even initiate the special counsel, number one. And now we know the very thing um, from which the, the statement of facts came from, the dossier, was fabricated, is untrue from a source that prior to this being uh, filed with the court, the affidavit being sworn out, was from a source who had been totally discredited. Yep. It's it's unreal. Well, on that point, I'm glad you said that because I had the answers. I'm reading from a questionnaire that the um, House Intelligence Committee put out, and they were trying to address the most frequent, most common criticisms of their decision to release the memo. And I didn't actually care for their answer to that question because they just kind of said, well, the memo has nothing to do with the special counsel's investigation. So to reiterate, because I want to make this really clear, there would be no Mueller investigation had it not been for this astonishing conduct on the part of the FBI and Department of Justice in securing a FISA warrant to spy on Carter Page based on a fantasy written by Christopher Steele and funded by Hillary Clinton. There'd be no more investigation. And, John, I'm glad you pointed that out, too. I've had uh, uh, former federal prosecutors on the show pointing out, you're not even supposed to have a special counsel without a clear statement of what crime has been charged. There is no crime charged. That's correct. Collusion is not a crime. No crime really even indicated at all. Okay, here's another criticism. The memo is intended to undermine the Department of Justice and the FBI. So actually, basically what Mudd was saying in that clip we played last segment, that's what he would say is you're undermining the Department of Justice and the FBI. Well, that's not the purpose of the memo, number one. Uh, The purpose of the memo was to put out truth about what is actually going on, letting the American people know that senior leaders at the Department of Justice and FBI lied, committed crimes, intentionally perjured themselves, uh, tampered with a federal election, committed sedition. I think those are things uh, Americans need to know. If some of those people involved were in the FBI leadership and DOJ leadership, they should be skylighted. Americans need to know this, and these people should be charged and punished. So what about the people in the FBI? This isn't one of their questions, but, you know, you you have people that were FBI director Andrew McCabe is mentioned, uh, former, I mean, Deputy uh, McCabe and um, Attorney General Rod Rosenstein. What about people who aren't at their level, but they saw what was happening? They worked at the FBI Department of Justice, but they really weren't part of it. Do they have some obligation to speak up? Yes, they do. I mean, when these kinds of laws are being broken and this kind of sedition is occurring, Uh, You have a constitutional oath and, quite frankly, from a policy standpoint inside the government, as well as a moral duty uh, to speak up. Absolutely. I was thinking about that, too. You know, that in many walks of life that happens. You could work in a bank, a law firm. But most people, even if there weren't a law like you're describing, you take an oath to uphold the laws and constitution. An ethical person knows you have to speak up. If you're a police officer and you see you know something is you know, unlawful or unethical unethical occurring, you have to speak up, which gets me to the broader point I want to get to. I feel concerned, back to my my original opening, uh, Trump running for office and talking about draining the swamp. I feel concerned this culture of either not, you know, a elitist that says we know better, Trump can't be president, he doesn't deserve it, so we're going to get rid of him. And then also just it's an elitism and then also maybe a, I don't even know how, what word to call it, but a, a sense of, of culture permeating the FBI saying, well, you know, um, this is they seem to think it's OK, so I'm not going to speak up. It's like a culture of lawlessness. Is that too broad? Unfair? Um, I don't think it's uh, too broad or unfair. What I would say is and what I encourage your, your viewers and listeners on is it's not 
I would not um, describe it as a culture. This is a hostile movement. What Mrs. Clinton uh, and Senator McCain and uh, Christopher Steele and the people in DOJ and FBI are participating in is a hostile movement inside this country to take this country down. That's why I use the word treason. It is certainly sedition for everyone involved. Um, It's the same thing. I put it in the same category as fake news. I think when you use the term fake news, you are minimizing what it really is. It is a hostile propaganda operation by people who want to take down the country. And I think to uh, dismiss it as fake news or dismiss this as merely uh, a culture inside the bureau, it's an intentional hostile movement. And that's that's my professional uh, assessment. And that's what my, my company, Understand the Threat, does is looks at the hostile Islamic movement, but also this Marxist movement that is working in tandem with them that actually they propel each other forward. You know, uh, yes, they do. And on the subject, you use the expression, this Marxist movement. It's really interesting. Under President Obama, you know, he got he got elected twice, you know, and apparently so the people thought they liked him. They thought they liked his personality or his way of speaking. But the American left saw him as a vehicle to move this country radically left. And they saw Hillary as the she was the next step in the path, the next one who's going to continue the the expansion of power and control of the federal government, the the, the seizing of control through a variety of regulations and laws of more of industry. It was, it was a slow, unspoken Marxist movement that Hillary Clinton would then have been the next step. And even people who supported her, most of them wouldn't call it that. They just thought she sounded nice. But within the mindset of the highest level thinkers, this is what this is what so outraged Obama and many of the supporters in Washington was not just Hillary couldn't win the election, but that this plan and effort they had to move America toward a more government controlled loss of freedom, loss of individual liberty society was just cut off at the knees by Trump's victory. That's right. And it really is a uh, when you look at this. It is an arrogance um, that that leads this whole thing that they know better than we do, that we as American citizens uh, can't govern ourselves. Well, you know, that's why the right to revolution is inherent in the Constitution. It's why it's the only duty mentioned in the Declaration, which is our ideal, is because the social compact we make with the federal government to allow to to elect people to represent us and not self-govern ourselves That compact can be withdrawn at any time. And this is something that Marxists like Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama, Phil Mudd and others (laughs) clearly, um, whether they understand it or not, doesn't matter. I believe they do. But this is treasonous behavior and it needs to be punished to the fullest extent of the law. Oh, I couldn't agree more. I do think the um, within the FBI, this and it's funny you hear in different words that, that in different quotes the sense that they had some of these actors was not that they were doing something wrong, but they were serving a higher, more uh, a more important uh, goal. And so the fact of violation of law was a minor problem, given the, the higher goal has to be to get this country back on the track that Barack Obama was taking it. I mean, do you see? Okay, so yeah, so if, if we are going to make that argument, um, I could say uh, if we had lost the revolution— the American Revolution, George Washington and the founders would have been hung as traitors. But we didn't. Liberty won out. Right. 
And in this case, liberty won out when Mr. Trump was elected. Liberty won out because those people with courage inside Congress, and there seem to be very few, released this memo for the American people to see very plainly the corruption, the sedition, treason that's going on. And I think those people have to make their case to the American people that they were violating the law in the cause of a higher calling, except their higher calling is Marxism and socialism and the destruction of liberty. Absolutely. I'm completely with you. I completely agree. I, and I love that you're saying all that. Okay, one last quick objection that some people had was this idea that the memo shouldn't have been released because the Department of Justice and the FBI did not agree. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> hey, Gee, I'm telling you. <laughs> what a surprise. The leadership of the FBI and DOJ didn't want a memo release that demonstrates the leadership of the FBI and DOJ are seditious, violating laws. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it is crazy. Well, you know, I just think this is a really uh, I said this uh, many times in the show. It's a great time to be alive. I used to think when, when uh, I would read history and people got to be part of the founding of America and they actually got to be the ones who would stand up and speak up against King George. And they were going to establish the right of liberty, God given because you were born kind of liberty. That used to seem so exciting to me. And I think, gosh, we're in such a boring time. America's established. But this is that level of 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 dire need for Americans to recognize that your liberty is not permanently yours. You don't have it unless you defend it, protect it, recognize threats to it, and expose them. And, and this is a great time to be alive to do just that. Well, I have John Guandolo in the studio, and before he gets away, I do want him to tell you, he's mentioned a couple times, but what your organization is and what you do. Oh, thanks. Uh, I am the president and founder of Understanding the Threat. Uh, you can find us at understandingthethreat.com, at UTT underscore USA. And I'm at John Guandolo on Twitter, uh, Facebook, Understand the Threat. And we do encourage you to sign up for the newsletters. And we are the only organization in America that provides citizens, law enforcement, state and local leaders with the tools they need to identify the jihadi networks in their uh, locales and tools to investigatively pursue them and state strategies at the state level to dismantle those networks, and we also identify and map out Marxist networks as well with the same uh, intent. Love that, folks. Look up John Guandolo. I've taken one class with him. It's fabulous. This is Debbie George S. John, thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. America Can We Talk? Come back after the top of the hour. <laughs> 